Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Jamie. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy and your peace. And will you help us to hear your truth today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today is the second Sunday in Lent. And what is Lent? I'm so glad you asked. Um, it's the 40-day season of the church year when followers of Christ, that's us, we prepare ourselves to celebrate Easter. Okay, and we prepare ourselves with um, spiritual disciplines, you know, stuff like studying the word and praying and fasting. And disciplines like this, they help us um, to move deeper into our relationship with God, okay? They aren't ways that we prove ourselves to God. We're not trying to, you know, get his attention uh, in that way, right? We're not trying to earn something from him. <laughs> no. uh, but these are things that we do to prepare ourselves for more of him, okay? And Lent is a season of contemplation and reflection, okay, of how faithful God is, especially through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, the lectionary readings today, they really highlight God's faithfulness to his people and the whole world, whole world. Um, so let's dig in. Uh, the Old Testament reading is Genesis 12, 1 through 4a. Okay, 4a. They stop halfway through a verse. And normally I can't stand that kind of thing, but today it, it really fits. Okay, so uh, let's go Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father, your father's household to the land I will show you. And now the next two verses are like offset, okay? Um, they're written out as poetry. And I don't know if it shows it really like on our screen like that. But if you're looking at it in, in your Bibles, it, it should look like, uh, like poetry. Because this is God, you know, prophesying to Abram. And uh, most prophetic divine speech is presented as poetry. So verse 2, God says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. The end. And Lot went with him is a really interesting place to stop the text. Okay, so first off, we have Abram. And this is way before God makes his second covenant with him when he changes his name to Abraham. Um, and at this point, Abram and his wife Sarai and their nephew Lot, they're living um, with Abram's dad's household. And his dad is Terah. And he lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans, which sounds awesome. <laughs> like, it sounds so epic. <laughs> And um, in chapter 11, we're told uh, that Terah had moved his whole household. Like, they got up and left Ur of the Chaldeans. Um, and they were moving to Canaan, but on the way, they stop, you know, like you have to do. 
and they stop in Haran, and I guess it was good enough, <laughs> and that's where they just settled. Um, and that's all we know in, in the Bible of, of how we got to the text today, um, the three and a half verses of the text. Um, and God tells Abram uh, to leave his land, his people, his father's house, and go where? And I, he doesn't say. He does not tell him. Um, just that he will show him where to go. And I'm not going to lie. That sounds like less than ideal. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm going to pick up everything, leave everything, and go to an unlocated location. It is a lot to ask. Um, and Abram doesn't seem to get any follow-up questions. Like, we're not shown any follow-up discussion. Uh, verse 4 says, Abram went as the Lord had told him. And I am impressed. Okay, I will always be impressed when someone takes a leap of faith to follow God. Even if it's like the tiniest of leaps, the biggest of leaps, I'm always impressed. Um, because I'm impressed by obedience. You know, like, I want to be that way. Uh, but before I go making Abram the hero of this story, uh, we need to look at the phrase, and Lot went with him. Because God's command was to go from your country, your people, your father's people, right? And it would seem that Abram took some of his father's household with him. And um, Liz and I, we were talking about this the other day, you know, like you do. <laughs> And I was wondering, like, how do you describe this? Because Abram obeys, but he also disobeys, you know? And Liz came up with this great phrase. Um, she called it an imperfect act of obedience. An imperfect act of obedience. And I really like that because that rang true. Um, like, because do you ever do this, right? God calls you to do something or quit something. And you obey, but then you put your own spin on it. Like, I'm the only one. No, you're nodding your heads. Um, it is all of us, right? Now, what would it look like if we stopped doing that? I don't know. So Abram is no different from us, right? He, he puts his own spin on it, right? And he takes his nephew Lot. And, you know, God doesn't pull the plug on the whole ordeal, okay? He doesn't cancel his promise of blessing. He doesn't smite the household. Um, there's not some sort of direct punishment for this imperfect act of obedience. But if you keep reading the story, you do see that Lot is a complete burden the whole time. And it's not like he's a little kid that they had to take. Okay, he has, he's a grown man with his own family, his own household. Um, in fact, not too far into this, Lot's uh, servants, his herdsmen, um, all of his stuff, he gets so big, his property, everything he owns, like, um, everybody, they start to fight with Abram's herdsmen and, and servants. So they have to, um, they have to separate and move away from each other, you know. Uh, but he keeps turning up. Lot keeps turning up. You keep reading, and Abram, he has to rescue Lot twice. Um, and then if you keep reading, okay, keep going, um, eventually, Lot 
you know, impregnates his two daughters. And they both have sons, which uh, both become kingdoms, the Moabites and the Ammonites. And, and these are two kingdoms that will go on to just, like, fight Israel the whole time. Now, the text never says, and none of this would have happened if Abram had left Lot behind. It doesn't say that. But all of these things do happen as a consequence because of, and Lot went with him. Um, so Abram, he, he imperfectly obeys God, like all of us. And, um, and he does this several times in the story. This isn't the only time. Um, if you read Genesis 12 through, I don't know, read through 21, um, you will see story after story of Abram uh, failing to trust God all the way. Um, you see him imperfectly obeying God, uh, putting his own spin on it. And, um, and that's the point. That's something we're supposed to notice. Uh, because Abram in his imperfect faith and obedience is not the hero of this story, okay? But it is, he is part of the story, and, and so are we. But the only thing worth boasting about um, from page one in the beginning to page end, amen, come Lord Jesus, is God and his faithfulness to his creation, especially through Jesus Christ. Uh, now, in the epistle reading for today, um, we have part of St. Paul's letter to the Roman churches. And he's explaining to them that God made promises to Abraham, right? And we read the, the promise, the blessing in, in chapter 12 of Genesis, um, that God will make Abraham a great nation and a great name. And he will be a blessing. That's what he said. He will be a blessing. Uh, and in him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And later on in Genesis, God makes covenants with Abram. Uh, and, you know, in chapter 17, that's when he changes his name to Abraham. And he says uh, he will be the father of a multitude of nations. And then God promises to be God to him and his offspring, right? He, he promises, I will be their God. This is like the short, short version, okay? Um, so in this part of the letter, Paul is explaining to the church that now God is the God of everyone, okay? He's not just the God of the Jews, but through Jesus, now the covenant is open to all who believe through Christ, So here's what the epistle reading for today from Romans chapter 4 says. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So here Paul quotes Genesis 15 when God tells Abram he's going to have an uncountable number of offspring. And Abram believes God. And it's in this belief that um, Abram is, is right with God, right? And the covenant promise of this huge family uh, begins. 
And Paul goes on to say in verse 4, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And Paul makes this comparison of works to following the law. He talks about this um, a lot in this letter, okay, that following the Jewish law is not what makes you righteous or right with God. Um, and then in verses 9 through 12, like, he makes the same point um, about circumcision, okay? So he's, he's telling this church that has Jewish people and Gentile people in it that... Um, the Gentile Christians are just as legit as the Jewish Christians are, right? Because it's not through the law, it's through faith. And let's skip ahead to verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are... sorry who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Paul just writes so clearly, doesn't he? <laughs> so when God made his covenant promises with Abraham, it was, it was before the law existed. Okay, God promises this family of nations before he creates Israel as a nation. So Abram isn't Jew or Gentile because those classifications don't exist yet. When Paul says, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void, he's saying that if the Jews are the only family of God because they follow the law, then faith is useless, right? There's no way to get right with God. And not only that, but that also makes God's promise pointless. So he's telling them, like, don't put the law over and above the promise. Because not only did God's promise come before the law, his promise is the solution for the sin in the garden. Okay, the law is not God's solution for the sin in the garden. Now, just sidebar, I am not criticizing the law, okay? The law is God's gift to his chosen people, okay? And it's through the law that they were set apart and made holy, okay? So that God could come and dwell with them, okay? It was a way uh, they could be ritually clean enough that God's present presence would not kill them. You know, this is an awesome thing, the law has a purpose, but it is not the solution that fixes our hard hearts, okay? And it's not the solution that deals with our sin. All right, verse 16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, 
I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That is an awesome claim. Resurrection doesn't come from the law. It comes from our creator. Our rebellion in the Garden of Eden can't be fixed. It cannot be made right by obeying the law. We can't earn it. There was only one person who could keep the law perfectly. And Paul ends almost every chapter in Romans by making this point, you know, that it's only through Jesus Christ. He was the only one who could keep the law perfectly. His birth and death and resurrection starts the fulfillment of God's promise to set the world back to good, okay, back like it was at creation before we sinned. And this is also what Jesus is talking about in the gospel reading for today. I'm using all three readings today. Um, it's from John's Gospel, okay? It's chapter 3, 1 through 17. And it's the same reading that Jim preached on last week. Uh, it's when Nicodemus comes and talks to Jesus. And since we read it just last week, and I know it's still just so fresh in our minds, I'm, I'm not going to have us read it again today. Um, but Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus that to see the kingdom of God, you must be born from above. You know, being born Jewish is not going to earn you into the kingdom. The family God has promised is bigger than that. And it's like uh, Richard said last week after the sermon, um, that it is God's faithfulness that saves us, right? Our faith, our faith doesn't uh, save us any more than us obeying the law does um, because... Our imperfect acts of obedience is not enough. It's God's perfect faithfulness and his fulfillment of his promises, right? From his promise to Abraham to bless all the families of the earth to his promise to David that a Messiah would come through his line. His promises aren't random, okay? They, they're purposeful. And the fulfillment of God's promises are how he is making the world right again. So it's like Jesus tells Nicodemus, For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when we read this, you know, we tend to stop at the whoever believes will have eternal life part. Uh, we make it such an individual thing. But as you can see, Jesus is talking about saving the world. Okay, the great big family that God promised to Abraham. And that's us. Okay, we're in that family and isn't that cool that we are in God's promise? And isn't it just awesome, like in the real way to use the word awesome, 
that we have a God who fulfills his promises, right? We don't have a God who dangles the bogus carrot of reconciliation in front of our faces. And isn't it a relief that God does all the heavy lifting in this? Abraham is not the hero of the story. The law is not the hero of the story. We certainly are not the heroes of the story, right? It's God who so loved the world. God who is so faithful to fulfill the promises he made in order to restore his creation back to good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for blessing. Thank you for the generous promises you make and keep for the salvation of your creation. And we marvel at your faithfulness. And we brag on you. Thank you, Jesus, for your perfect act of obedience that began the fulfillment of the Father's promise. So that not only are we part of his great family, but through your death and resurrection, we are now judged as forgiven. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for working through the word. May our hearts be made soft at the good news that God's promise includes us. And will you help us live as a family of faith and obedience to him as we wait for his promise to be completed. In your name, Jesus, we ask it. Amen.